2: Reveille, Revely, docks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Like Montel in 94, this is how we do it from one BBC to another. It's Friday, June 18th, 2021. And this right here, yes, you knew it. You came for it, right? If you're going to come, then come on. You're here. It's Morning Combat, the best show in all of, uh, I don't know, combat sports or maybe the internet, right? It's up to you to decide that. My name is Brian Campbell, your beige bastard, and Friday host, Orange Background, No J Friday. Fine puerto rican linen here or or something silk i don't know this i mean you can't buy this in the upper 48 as they say there but who cares about me right i just wear a lot of tinfoil the guy next to me is the reason you're here the power bottom of this duo the best non-fighting fight analyst in the game today his name is luke thomas
0: Yes. uh, Almost none of what you said just now is true, but it is funny. So how you doing, BC? Nice to Uh, see you, buddy.
2: Luke, it's Friday, right? Ain't got shit to do, but set the tone for the weekend, right? And maybe, Captain, the best show going today. So I'm fired up to be there. Thank you to our audience for showing up with us as well and showing out. Uh, this is what we do here at Showtime CBS Sports. Malka, thank you all to everybody behind the scenes on this one. Luke, we got a great show. Not only looking back at a wild uh, turn of events in PFL on Thursday night, set the stage for UFC, a lot of random boxing this weekend, Showtime Championship boxing this weekend as well, Luke. Um, I don't like to do the long intros because you tell me the people want us to get right into it. They want us to, to like, you know, we're not here to win the AVN award for best storyline, Right.
0: Are there Avian Awards for best storyline? I also I, thought it was like best, you know. know, orifice thingy. Yeah,
2: best thing. I mean, look, if you want, I mean, if you want to keep our conversation going on the fighter pay, I'm all here, Luke. Okay, I'm ready for it. All right, bro. All you right, Reynolds I mean, rap
0: and a MK hat I mean, behind your I mean, booty I mean, what are we,
2: I mean, what are we doing here, bro? Okay, all right, enough, 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 all right, enough. All right. I mean, it's called Hollywood Accounting, okay? Look it up, people. Thank you. That's all i got to say about that. <laughs> all right, Luke, we have a fantastic show, and uh, look, here's what the people tell me that are high above us. Merch 2.0, Monday.
0: Yes, <laughs> I they know. did say that. Yeah. He's yeah, right. They did say that. I don't
2: know about that, bro, but uh, if you want to wear that great hat I just flashed, or if you want to try to find this mug, but unfortunately you won't, you can go to store.show.com for the, the fantastic merch 1.0. Luke, Bill and Jen of RV Adventures, they're at Black, can- Black uh, Canyon of the Gunnison National Park in Colorado this week wearing our 1.0 merch, so shout out to our fine friends there. Uh, people can wear that. Showtime 30-day trial. You're not only going to get Jamal Charlo returned Saturday night. You're not only going to get Pitbull versus McKee July 31st, okay? That's what I'm talking about. Go to Showtime.com, start your 30-day free trial, movies, docs. I don't know the Kings, Leonard, Duran, right? Hearns, Hagler, okay? It's up to you if you like history. Why don't you check that shit out at Showtime.com. Luke, that's all I got for that, okay? Let's slide right into the DMs of this show. Are you ready, brother?
0: Let's, let's do the damn
2: thing. Okay. Oh, except for check out my Morning Combat interviews this week. Randy Couture, Anderson Silva, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. Come on. BC and those, those legends, where, where else are you going to be this week? Right, right here. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Luke, let's set the stage for the weekend to come. It's fight night. UFC fight night Saturday from vegas the apex center and we have really let's be honest in a a crowded weekend of pretty damn good stuff it's a pretty damn good main event in the featherweight division the korean zombie against dan Ige. luke when you look at the ufc rankings at 145 this fight matters this fight certainly does both looking to let's say coming off of Defeats that 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 sealing them to a certain degree in terms of where they were in the title picture, looking to fight each other to get right back in that same title picture. When you crunch the numbers and look at the style matchup and the contrast here, what are you seeing?
0: It's a it's a it's a pretty even fight in a, a, a lot of ways. I haven't looked at the odds. I would imagine that Korean Zombie would be the favorite, which I think is fine. I think Korean Zombie has beaten historically better fighters or certainly looked a little bit more dynamic in some of those wins although Ige's last win over gavin tucker was obviously uh, you know 22 seconds long it was it was dramatic but i guess i would say the numbers are kind of they kind of tell you that they're pretty similar ish fighters i would say that the tape says something slightly different like for example numbers strikes landed per minute 4.15 for the korean zombie 3.95 for Dan Ige, is there a major differential between their strikes absorbed? Not really, 4.01 for the Korean Zombie, 3.36. They kind of have a same kind of output as they do uh, absorb, they have a sort of a give and take kind of boxing style. Their defense, 56% versus 58%. Takedown defense, 75 versus 60. I mean, it sort of goes on and on and on there. The takedown accuracy of Korean Zombie a little bit higher than Dan Ige, but um, you know, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into that. I don't think it's gonna be one of those kinds of fights. Here's my point though. If you look at the korean zombie on tape he's not as much of a mover as dan ige dan ige is going to be in out side to side faint up and down playing with range playing with motion playing with speeds and rhythm korean zombie is just a little bit more content to kind of wait on you fire the uppercut when you when you close in distance or you know some other kind of punch where he can intercept you he's a step and slider not a bouncer in that way and so I tend to think that's how the fight's going to play out, where Dan Ige is going to be lateral movement, in and out, trying to find something, mixing up takedowns, mixing up some kind of threats, and Korean Zombie's going to be kind of waiting on him to come in. Now, that cost him big time against Brian Ortega to an extent, but Dan Ige, I think, is still, while his wins against Barboza were incredible, you know, the Cater loss, he was never really out of that fight, but he didn't get over the hump over a good boxer like that, although I think Cater, a little bit rangier maybe, a little bit... mm, A little bit more polished with some of the things, so maybe that's debatable to some. The reach is not a difference. There's a one-inch reach uh, advantage for Chan Sung Jung. The question really is here, who's going to be better, BC? The guy intercepting the person who's making the blitzes or the person doing the blitzing and the movement? It's really what it comes down to.
2: Yeah, will it be the uh, the immovable object, Luke, or the irresistible force? When you look at the rankings, Chan Sung Jung coming in at number four on the UFC's top ten at featherweight, Dan Ige, number eight. But to your point about the betting odds, Luke, very close here. Our partners at William F- Hill have Dan Ige as the minus 125 betting favorite as of wow. right now, plus 100 for TKZ. So I wow. want to ask you, in light of that, are the odds makers looking at the blueprint Brian Ortega put out there now Brian Ortega a very different fighter than Dan Ige in size length all that stuff probably in (laughs) promiscuity, promiscuality as well wow um a topic for another show but do you think they are looking at Dan Ige's potential with that movement you talked about with that gas tank to maybe try to copy some of the stylistic advantages that Ortega used to to out slick uh TKZ and do that again knowing that there's a five round window in this fight
0: uh, I got to say I'm a little bit surprised by the odds. I, I I understand that the last loss for Ortega, excuse me, for Korean Zombie at the hands of Ortega was, was it was bad. I mean that was a pretty thorough beating that he took there, and obviously uh, as I mentioned, Ige coming off that 22 second win over Gavin Tucker is a little bit of a different momentum as they as they meet in the middle here. Um, in terms of the Ortega loss, I mean Ortega kind of didn't mind having a bit of a slower pace um and is a bit of a step and slider himself so I think there's probably some tactical things you can pick up there but Dan Ige is going to be uh, one of these guys who don't get me wrong he can absolutely strike with the Korean zombie I, I truly believe that but I think to get his best chance of winning he's going to have to mix in a lot of different elements not to be clear Chan Sung Jung is very good on the ground I don't think that Dan Ige really wants to have a ground battle with him although he is a black belt himself but what I mean to say is put Korean Zombie in just a defensive position to wrestle. Get behind him with, a, with, a, with your hands clasped. Matt, return him. You know, Just try and make him think and react to all the different parts of MMA that you can with a high pace, high volume. You even heard, by the way, Korean Zombie complain that he's tired of fighting five-round fights. I'm sure he's in good shape, but I'm just saying, you don't hear Dan Ige complaining about that. I think he wants all of that. He wants as much room and latitude an opportunity to use different elements of the game to, uh, to bring about the results. So, like, borrowing from Ortega, again, probably a handful of things you could look at if you're Danny Gay and take, but I think those guys over, uh, excuse me, at Extreme Couture, and in particular Eric Nixick, who has a very tight bond with Danny Gay, I think they're going to be looking at some, of uh, uh, just building on some of his own strengths, which are a little bit different. Again, I think speed, exiting, angles, I think that's going to be a big key. Uh,
2: if you can get Korean Zombie at plus money in a fight where he has, in my opinion, the the bigger guns to the table, that's very intriguing. Now you're going to give him five rounds to do that, whether he loves the five-round distance or not. Luke, I wonder if we see a much more aggressive throw caution to the wind, Korean zombie, you know, how he built his reputation, if you want to be honest here, knowing that, look, he needs this win. He is 34 years old. He took the time off for the military. We all know that. He came back and looked great. Along with that Ortega loss, he had that that sort of let's say bad luck loss to Yair Rodriguez in their five-round duel. But outside of that, man, he has looked freaking fantastic. I'm wondering if this is a, a potential setup here where he's gonna have a guy in Ige Luke, who I love what he brings to the table. I love the knockout of Gavin Tucker. I love the 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 spunk and the in like the, the spirit that he brings to it, right? It's like me in front of this microphone. Problem is you can't bring that to the Korean zombie, correct? You know what I'm saying? That that's where you're gonna find the uh, that that's where you're gonna find the horns.
0: I think if you cons- up, I think I, I think if you consistently stand in front of him, it's gonna be a bad night for you, right? It's just gonna be bad, you know. And I, when I mentioned earlier, BC, like, oh, there's not much of a difference in the numbers. That's true striking in terms of you know, and obviously the striking styles are very different. The big difference in numbers, such that they exist, BC takedowns per 15 minutes. Korean Zombie just point six two. Dan Ege 1.68. So for per 15 minutes, he's almost at two takedowns and you know, his, his percentage of success is not high, but I don't think it has to be. It just has to be a threat. It just has to be to get you to react, but you're right. If you just stand in front of the guy and try and slug it out with him and kind of march into him, you know, his accuracy is so good His power. I think you're right. The, the power differential definitely favors Korean zombie. If you're Dan gay, you gotta be light on your feet in out angles, changing things up always keeping korean zombie guessing and i, I honestly think you got to be built for distance it's going to be hard to land on him clean i mean yari rodriguez d- took 24 minutes and 59 seconds to do it uh obviously ortega was able to do it sort of throughout with that spinning back fist but um you know it's just it's very difficult to do for the most part so th- it's, it's a it's a more laborious task in terms of just the amount of work that we're asking dan Ige to do But I do think he's built for it. I think this is a very winnable fight for him, for sure. I mean, he's
2: built for it from the standpoint of stamina, from the standpoint of want. I wonder if he could mix up and give us sort of a Frankie Edgar-type attack here, a prime Frankie Edgar-type attack and try to keep TKZ off balance, keep the pace high. I mean, look, he's not the same body type. He's not the same fighter as Ortega to mimic that style. Ortega's got the length and the smarts and the power. I mean, he's got, you know... And the charm, apparently. Apparently, you know, he's got got a lot going for him. Luke, in terms of what's going for this fight, what do you think the winner gets? What's at stake here?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I did not see where Korean Zombie is ranked. Is it fair to say winner moves into top five?
2: Well, he's TKZ is fourth, eighth for Ige. I think
0: for... In terms of Korean Zombie, I think they badly want him to fight someone of a bigger stature because their fans really love him. And there's a way to build on that for the Korean market. Does he get a title shot from it? I don't know. Maybe with Max being out, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later, would they do the air rematch? Maybe if that's a thing, it's hard to say exactly. Certainly for Dan Ige, you bump into that top five space. Now you're in that upper echelon that the lost Decatur kind of knocked you out of. So that's a huge rebound opportunity for him. It just for, for Korean zombie, it's obviously big, whatever he would get, But it's hard to say specifically because he might need another win after that. And who he would face, I I don't know.
2: Just a quick recap here. Obviously, we have uh, the champion Volkanovsky facing number two, Brian Ortega. Max Holloway just pulled out. He's the number one contender against number three, Yair Rodriguez. They're going to reschedule that. Korean Zombie at four, Calvin Cater at five. But Luke, what about Josh Emmett at six, who has not fought since beating Shane Burgos in that three round classic? you got to think him coming back healthy could be in line to face the winner here.
0: If he, if he is healthy and if he's the same fighter, do we know if he's ready to fight?
2: I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, he looked amazing against Shane Burgos, and he had that terrible loss to Jeremy Stevens uh, in terms of what it physically did to him where he lost, you know, feeling in his mouth permanently and all kinds of stuff. And then I think he busted up his knees and everything else. Like I, 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 I believe that Josh Emmett is extremely talented. But he's a little bit older, number one. And number two, those are some devastating injuries he's had in the last few years. So I would love to see him come back
2: and pick up where he left off. But you're asking a lot. Great ink, though, Luke. In a sport with bad tats, Josh Emmett's got a nice color pattern there, right? I mean,
0: strong. I, I, I often say this, dude. I often say this. Look at the NBA players when they do jersey swaps. Their tattoos are worse. I know that's controversial. It shouldn't be. I don't think MMA fighters have the worst tattoos, actually. I don't.
2: Okay. I'm sure, because, I'm sure the bare-knuckle circuit's got some pretty bad ones there. <laughs> Luke, you know it's a bad UFC card when 43-year-old Alexio Olenek is taking on Sergei Spivak in the co-main event. Your thoughts? I don't.
0: I mean, I'm not going to insult these fighters, but, you know. It's okay. just, it's just, I mean, BC, do you have anything to add to that, you know?
2: Uh, up and down this card, uh, Marlon Vera's coming back off the loss to Jose Aldo against a red-hot nice. Davey Grant. Do you like that one, Luke?
0: Yes, I think Marlon Vera is dramatically improved since their first encounter, and um, I like Chito Vera a lot. I think he works hard. I think he's with a good team. You know, um, didn't go so well against Aldo, but Aldo's Aldo, so... I guess we'll have to see, but Chito Vera, I do think is destined for for big stuff, big things.
2: Matt Brown, Diego Lima, that don't that don't suck, right? That's okay. No,
0: that okay. doesn't. I don't know how much fighting time Matt Brown has left, right? But Lima, um, you know, I think he's always sh- lived a little bit in terms of like the hardcore fans in the shadow of his brother. It's interesting, yeah. right? He may even have more attention because he fights in UFC versus Bellator, but in terms of how the fans understand the two, obviously Douglas is the more accomplished. But you know, Diego Lima has been saying in interviews that like he is absolutely firing on all cylinders. He's going there to send a message. He's well rounded, and I think a prime Matt Brown would probably get rid of Diego Lima pretty quickly. But Matt Brown, I think, would be the first to tell you he's not in his prime, or or you know, he's not fighting at the very height of his of his career. Um, so I actually think that's pretty competitive. And if Diego Lima can avoid, it seems to me, if he can avoid an early exit, uh, Brown. Might struggle a little bit late in that one. Um, Don't know that for sure, obviously, but that is something to pay attention to, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, Matt Brown did struggle late against Carlos Condon, despite the fact that he is immortal, Luke, but we'll see what happens there Saturday night. (laughs) Also on Saturday, Showtime Championship Boxing is back from Houston, a Juneteenth celebration as WBC unbeaten middleweight champion Jermall Charlo puts the title on the line against the hard-hitting Juan Macias Montiel, who's 22-3, and but has 22 KOs in those wins. Luke, we know Charlo's a big favorite. We know when we talked Wednesday about the storylines, and since then, by the way, at the press conference, Charlo did say, I'm hoping to get a win here, and I'm hoping that attracts Triple G or Demetrius Andrade for a unification-type fight at middleweight. Again, political network divides. It could be hard to make those. We'll see what happens. In terms of the fight, though, Luke, X's and O's, what we expect to see Saturday night. Where, how, when, what could the hard-hitting Montiel do to, to you know, to spoil the, the the big plans of Jamal Charlo?
0: I don't know, uh, candidly. I mean, I know that uh, Montiel has big power. Um, all of his wins come by way of KO. I respect that completely. Um I gotta say, BC, I know the Charlos less so, Jamel, because of, you know, uh, obviously, you know, he has been really good at junior middleweight. And this will be a middleweight fight for folks who don't know. It's about 160 pounds in boxing. I gotta tell you, man, you know, uh, our producer Mikey was like, you know, can you pick out a couple of clips for us for Jamal Charlo to help the fans understand, you know, what makes Jamal Charlo good, dude. Jamal Charlo is a good boxer. I know that sometimes the Charlos get beaten up by the hardcores. About you know whether they fought this guy or didn't or what claim they made about themselves. Okay, put that all to the side for just a second, and you just look at the tape. Dude, Jamal Charlo is a he's a bad motherfucker. First of all, both of these guys, both of these guys, have either dropped or won. In the case of uh, Jermel, with with jabs, you know, Jamal Charlo and his brother both drop opponents repeatedly with their power jabs and in the case of i, mean, I mentioned jermel he beat jason rosario basically that way with a jab to the body so first of all these are heavy-handed guys they are extremely athletic and in the case of jermall charlo dude we've got a little bit of tape if, if it's okay i'd like to run it here uh gaff sure. pull up clips one and two this is from the uh this was at when when jermall was at 154 so so folks know he's not in this weight class anymore but when he was this is just one of the most spectacular things. Just run the tape, because I, I I would need to slow it down and draw arrows over it to really so it's show Julian you
2: guys. J Rock Williams.
0: Yes, this is J Rock Williams. Look at this counter. And we have the slow-mo. You can put the slow-mo one right behind it after the clip is over here, Gaff. Yeah, you can just let it run. Just you know.
2: And J Rock, by the way, world-class former unified champion 154.
0: I mean, this is just an absolutely brilliant athletic counter there's no way you can see coming. What the what Jamal Charlo particularly excels at is fainting, fainting, backing up, getting guys to come into him, and then shooting the uppercut up the middle. He does it all the time. Look at this one more time. Rolls with it and then comes under as J-Rock is too far over his left knee and can't react. That is just absolutely impeccable timing. You can only catch the brilliance of that. In the in the slow motion, I just want to say, B.C., you you know, come on, you can say what you want about the Charlos. Dude, that's an absolutely spectacular counterpunch.
2: Well, Luke, I want to jump in real quick before you go to the next clip and just say I made a comment Wednesday where I said, look, you know, Jamal may have to move up to 68 to get the big names because the guys at 60 are kind of tied up on different sides of the island, so to speak. And I said, look, this is the guy I think that gives Canelo problems. I'm not saying I predict him to win, but I'm saying of the of the the landscape from 60 to 75, with the exception of Betterbeef, who's a unified champion and a powerhouse and massive, Charlo's the guy. And I was surprised that I got a bunch of DMs from you know Canelo hardcore fans that were like, like BC, stop stop pouring out the Showtime water, stop carrying the Showtime water up the hill because you're, you're 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 slipping and dropping it. And I'm like, really? They're like, you know, what the hell could Jamal do? Here's what Jermall brings to the table for this division, for the, for this area at 60-68 to 68 that nobody else does. The combination of very elite speed and power at the first off, right? And then you mix that with what you're saying, Luke, the IQ in terms of boxing. Re-watch the win over Sergei Derevchenko in the pay-per-view last year. He won that fight with boxing, especially down the stretch. His 100%. command of distance is spectacular. He has finishing punches, but when you match the foot speed... The hand speed and the power, you don't see that at the super elite level when it's even. When Canelo fought Billy Joe Saunders, we're saying, okay, maybe Billy Joe can set traps and do things no one's done to Canelo. When Canelo fought Callum Smith, we're saying, okay, Callum Smith's a lot bigger. Maybe he could land the big one. No, with Jamal Charlo, you got a guy who is complete, a a perfectly well-rounded fighter. Is he on the Canelo level? I don't freaking know. I want to find out, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't favor him to beat Canelo either. But like, do I think that's a genuine, legitimate fight? One thousand percent. Also, one thing you didn't bring up, BC. They they don't necessarily get hit a lot, but Jamal Charlo has an excellent chin. There's been cases, Austin Trout, for example. Remember the Austin Trout fight? Dude, Trout landed on him consistently. It never deterred him whatsoever. I got a couple more clips. We'll fire through them very fast. This is the first fight you and I got to cover as like a morning combat duo. It's from the Hogan fight. Now, Hogan was a blown-up 154 guy. You know, this is a fight that Jamal Charlo should never have lost. But you're gonna watch him here. You see him shoot the jab. Watch Hogan come in the middle after the feints and eat the uppercut here. It's just gonna. It's just. It's just academic. Look at that, dude. I mean, you're talking about the narrowest of windows that this guy finds lanes for punches. They're big power. Here he is fighting him off. Let's see here. Let's see, throw. It. Okay, now watch. He's gonna faint. Hold on. He's gonna faint low and then come up top. Watch. Ah, go to the next clip. Go to the next clip here. Um, Uh, uh, Gaff if you can it's interesting because here it is watch he's gonna faint low no this is the uppercut do you guys have the I I may have given him the wrong one let's see is this all you got Gaff oh here we go faints low to the body brings the hands bang comes right around with the hook now this was an overmatched opponent but I just mean to say this is not a guy who just relies on brute power now this is my favorite here is Derevyanchenko fire over to that one here very quickly This clip I'm gonna show you from Derevyanchenko is not some kind of magical piece of boxing, but it's just solid fundamentals. He had to get this guy off of him, so the jab, which we mentioned before, the power jab of Jamal Charlo had to be in play, and he had to find a way to get in on the guy, too, because a guy like Derevyanchenko's fleet of foot, you're gonna watch him double jab his way inside, it lands to the right, and then when Derevyanchenko tries to come back, he lands that left hook counter over the top. He's got good boxing coming forward, good boxing backing up, he can find ways to open the doors, he's got the power, He's got the speed. He's got the athleticism. BC, you're asking me like what Montiel can do. Uh, honestly, I'm not here to say he's not a good fighter or he he can't do things. But I don't know what he can do to Jamal Trello, well, to be quite honest with you. He's a fairly complete boxer, man.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, that's why it's an uphill battle in, in terms of the odds in this. But I, you know, I've watched tape on Montiel and, and seen his biggest fights. And the best thing you could say is the power is legit. It's real there. And also, Luke, he's very awkward. And that's going to have to be a big part of it. Now, it's one thing to say... Dennis Hogan is awkward, like he was, right? Dennis Hogan gave Hami Mungia handfuls of trouble because of the footwork and awkwardness, but he didn't have the power to, to, to make a, a statement. Montiel at least has the power here. He switches stances often. He's very comfortable in the pocket at close range because of his shiftiness. Throws from crazy angles, has sort of those sidearm half uppercuts. He's going to have to get into the pocket and make this a fight, right? But, but at the same time, avoid those kind of counter- uh, uppercuts, right crosses that Charlo has used to finish guys. If, if we're going, Luke, what's the best odds here? Uh, Charlo finished this guy because that's, that's Montiel's best odds to get this into a war. But he has real power, and he's got a style that's hard to prepare for. So that's why we're going to have to see. Is Charlo going to need to take a certain amount of rounds to take that snapshot and line up with the timing and in, in, in awkwardness? Can Montiel jump out on him and make an early statement? That's going to be the key.
0: Yeah, I, I think Charlo wins inside of nine. I'd be surprised if it goes the distance, although one never knows. But again, man, like, you know, if you want to bag on Charlo for, you know, all the crazy things they say about themselves in the media and blah, 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 and you think they should be fighting other people, fine. I won't get in your way. But if you want to tell me he's a bad boxer and that he sucks and he's not good and he's a one trick pony, that's just not accurate. The tape does not show that he is a very athletic, well-rounded guy. Ronnie Shields has done incredible things for him. And I'm a big believer in his upside. I just want to see that live out in the next couple of years. I want to really see him tested um, against the very elite of uh, either this division or the one next.
2: I think both Charlo brothers are right there about 9, 10, 11 in terms of pound-for-pound ranking at this moment. They've they've gotten to that point where they've accumulated enough big wins and they've shown you the evolution of the complete game. I think, Luke, if we're talking Jermel, sometimes he's too efficient. Sometimes he doesn't throw enough. He's so talented that he waits for that counter shot to try to knock people out, and sometimes fights can get close because he's so particular. Jermel lets his hands go a little bit more Is a little bit more of the – you know, the power base in that standpoint lives behind that jab, sets it up. So we'll see that on full display, Luke, on Saturday night with this triple header on Showtime Championship. By the Boxing. way, what's Looking your prediction that. for that
0: fight? How long, how long do you think it goes?
2: You know, I, I think, again, Montiel's going to have to make, make some magic. We've seen Montiel get, get stopped by Munguia before. We've seen him in there. He fought Hugo Centeno Jr., a guy Charlo knocked out, but fought him to an exciting draw. I think when Montiel mixes it up and get, it gets a little hairy, we're going to see him get stopped around the seventh round.
0: All right, I think that's pretty fair. I think that's pretty fair.
2: All right, that is Saturday night, Luke. Now we look back. Thursday night gave us something to talk about, Bonnie Raid here from PFL5 Atlantic City. It all went down on ESPN2 there, Luke. And in the main event, this was what they called the playoff push. And for your welterweight regular season rankings, Rory McDonald made some big (laughs) headlines, fought Gleason Tebow in the main event, three full rounds. Luke, I literally... Went to bed the second Lillian Garcia, the announcer, was about to read the scorecards going, you know what? Tough fight, but good-ass win for Rory. Let's see in the playoffs who he's going to get based on their mathematical scoring equation. I woke up to Gleason Tebow by split decision. Luke, he got the benefit of the doubt that he did not get against Habib Nurmagomedov many moons ago when he was able to prevent getting smashed. This time around, I'll ask you straight up. Robbery? Or no robbery? I'm going to say robbery.
0: Uh, how often have you heard me say that? More often. I, I, I don't know if I've ever said a fight on here was a robbery that we covered in real time. I've seen other fights. The biggest robbery in mixed martial arts history, uh, certainly in North America. I called the Mike Easton Chase BB fight. I mean, it's just an inexplicable decision. Um, this is this is not as bad as that. It's it's not good, man. And I I, I really listen. Let's give Thiago, excuse me, Gleason Tebow, I should say, some credit. Takedown defense, I thought, especially after the first round, phenomenal. They, I mean, they were talking about how he was trying to knee-tap this guy. I was like trying to run into a brick wall, 100%. And he was never really out of this fight, you know? It was competitive. I will say that, like, I, I agree with you. I thought when the fight was over, I'm like, oh, yeah, nice. Exactly how you thought. I was like, yeah, nice win for Rory. Um, you know, a, a, a tested, tough veteran like Tebow pushed him. But here's what I just can't get over. You want to give Tebow the third round fine i can't find any other round for him and if you go to the judges i'm not even sure i
2: can find the third round for him look i'm being really honest and i love me some gleason t bow right his body's a wonderland i'll have what he's having to be that jacked at at 30 39 or whatever the hell he is luke but he's a he's a blown up lightweight and he didn't win this fight i'm not even sure he won a round luke
0: yeah okay that's fine i mean again 30 27 for rory is hardly controversial i'm just saying. If someone tasked you with finding two rounds for t could you do it? No. And here's the bigger point, BC. Two of the judges, the ones who gave the fight to t they gave the first round to T-Bow. And I got to tell you, how, how the fuck is that possible? Listen, he did land one hard punch in that round. Um, but the overall volume was with Rory, number one. Uh, I think the better damage overall was with Rory, which is really the operative condition here. And the thing that really just gets me is I see a lot of this in the modern criteria. They're like, oh, if you get a takedown, you don't do anything with it. It doesn't count, which I'm more or less okay with. What I am not okay with, and I'm just going to say it outright, I think the modern criteria... Just flat out gets this wrong. Dude, I'm sorry. If you go for a takedown and then you take someone's back and you threaten them with a choke where they have to get both hands on it to address it and their face turns red and to tell me that they didn't do anything with that position, it is just so profoundly ignorant and wrong. Let me explain something. Folks, if you have, what, what is all of combat sports predicated on? It is predicated on symmetry. Symmetry. I am facing you, whether it's jujitsu, jitsu whether it's wrestling, whether it's boxing, whether it's kickboxing, whether it's MMA. The one way to change the symmetry is to take the back. And there are hardly any sports in combat sports where you can do it. Obviously, jujitsu jitsu and MMA are the big ones. When you do that, it is no longer an equal fight. You have changed the equation to the point where if you have your back taken, you are not fighting on equal terms. You are now drowning and you have to find your way out just to get a grasp of air. Once you extract yourself from that position, now it is back to a situation where it is more or less reasonably neutral. The idea that you can take someone's back, threaten with the choke, and you give the round to the guy who got choked, or at least threatened with the choke, That is indefensible. There is no argument you can give me to tell me from an enlightened position that that is a round you can give to Gleason Tebow. Not now, not before, not ever. And the modern criteria being like, well, he didn't score a ton of damage there. I don't give a fuck. You put the guy in an unequal position that is unheard of in other combat sports. He fucking lost
2: that round. So, uh, I mean, robbery sometimes implies... uh, you know, uh, some nefarious things. I'm not implying that. I'm just implying incompetence. And the reason why sure. you know this was incompetence and the wrong decision is what you tease. The fact that Tebow's best round by far was round two. He had, Let's give him credit. Rory's face is marked up at the end of this fight. It was a tough, grueling affair because round two, Tebow had some nice flurries of combinations. He was able to get inside on that size dis- differential. Yet all three judges gave round two to Rory Luke. That tells you they didn't know what they were doing. Good God! So, round well, one, I, I, Rory. I
0: think they gave him round two, because correct my me memory if it's... I, I may be getting it wrong. Didn't he land that flush head kick in round two?
2: He did, but he also took head kicks in round one, by the way. Also, let's not forget, we got to give Tebow credit for the second half of the fight. He stopped any takedowns. But do you remember what happened to open round two? Rory came like a bat out of hell, took him right down, almost got his back again. So, the first, let's say, half of this fight... Rory's piecing him up from distance. In fact, I watched that first round going, Luke, this going to be a long night for T-Bow with that size and length differential. It's going to be a hard time at 37 for him to find a way to get inside without getting pieced up. Round one to everything you just said has to be a Rory round. He almost submitted him. I mean, good God, he was out jabbing him, right crosses, everything. Round two, yes, T-Ball, if you want to give him a round, that's the round to give him. Luke, round three, I'm not saying that was like an overwhelming 10-8 Rory round, but, like, he did enough. Right, he did enough on the feet to control that fight, and us go. You know what? Not as dominant as the Millender fight, but this still seems like the best of what's left of Rory. Like we talked about on Wednesday's show, he seems there. He's a willing competitor. He'll good. You know, he'll let the hands go. He'll take the shots. His setups, his strategies are great. T-Bow again, give him credit. He's got big traps, Luke, and he came to fight. He didn't win that fight. Now the key in why this may not matter is this, Luke. This was the round, and, and look, I, I got to, again, thank you, PFL, you entertained me. All right, you're actually getting me to buy in on this stupid season and playoff format. The scenario f- facing Rory entering this fight was that if he won, he was going to fight, um, I forgot who he was going to fight in the playoffs, Luke, but if he lost... Oh, Magadan Kirimov, was gonna, I think? I think, no, I think if he, if he, if he won, he was going to fight Tebow again, and if he lost... He was going to fight uh, Ray Cooper the third. Yes. And now he's going to fight Ray Cooper the third, which, by the way, I think is the best fight you can make in 100%. this in this weight class. Now let, let's bring in that co-main event fight. Ray Cooper the third fought uh, a unanimous decision, Luke, in a very competitive and grueling fight with Nikolai Alexakin. And Alexakin is. Uh, Good God, that guy's cut like a mofo, Luke. That is a rock-hard guy coming in there. Had good combinations, had good punching. This was a very good fight on the feet. I think the difference was Ray Cooper's commitment to going for the takedown and that big slam he had in round three. So we are now getting, you know, probably the best fight you can make in this pairing, which is Cooper versus McDonald. But you kind of, it should have been for the finals, Luke. Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, I don't quite understand. I, I agree with you. I thought the fight was great. And, and also, Ray Cooper was in a bit of a tough fight, too. Like, his face was all jacked up when this fight was 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 over as well. Um, he's clearly one of the more standout uh, properties from that sort of World Series of Fighting PFL transition. I don't quite understand the rules about how they get to the positions they get to. I'm sure it's, you know, quite explainable. I've never really invested. But, look, we're going to get Rory McDonald versus Ray Cooper. If that's a silver lining to this whole thing, great. But it would be really a travesty if somehow this decision prevented mcdonald from advancing in the way in which he i should be you know does he need to be number one in the bracket i don't care about that yeah. but like um it, it, it's an unnecessary complication and now you know ray cooper i might favor him to beat rory mcdonald like ray cooper's very very good so the idea that like oh well rory can just rebound after this like yeah yes certainly he can but like you know if you thought that the t-ball fight was tough for him in many ways, Cooper might be tougher. So, like, Rory is not a shoe-in for the playoffs at all uh, in this whole equation.
2: Well, let me correct myself. If T-Ball would have won by stoppage, he could have supplanted for the fourth spot. So here's how the Walter Waite division uh, playoffs are going to play out. Luke, Juan Zeferino, the 35-year-old Brazilian, who had a second-round submission of Jason Ponette in the under-preliminary card on Thursday, he's the number one seed in this. He's got eight overall points Roy McDonald takes the second seed with six. He'll fight Ray Cooper, the third seed, the defending champion, who had five points. And then sneaking in the fourth spot is Magomed Magomed Karamoff, who had five points for this season, and he submitted Curtis Millinder by Ezekiel Choke in round one on Thursday night. So, Luke, I mean, the good news is, you know, these are four good fighters that I want to see. I just would have liked to have seen a chance for Rory and Ray to get there in the finals against each other. But you know, uh, Zephyrino, do you know a lot about this guy? He's won five in a I row. He's t- I fire. told you,
0: dude, I told you he's one of these guys from world series of fighting. He had wars. Who was the guy that Rick story, Brian Foster, Brian Foster got submitted by Rick story in his guard with a head and arm triangle. And I remember that. Cause I was like, God damn, that's hard to do. Um, and Joe had some wars with him. Dude, Joe was is a good fucking fighter. I'm telling you, man. Magomed, Magomed Karamov and Joe these are guys that like the casual UFC fan has never heard of, will never hear of. They could easily win, have uh, do well in Bellator, in UFC. You know, would they be champions? Maybe Magomed Karamov. He's an interesting guy. I don't know if Zafirino's built for that. Can he beat some of your favorite fighters out there? A billion percent, dude. He's very, very, very good he's good on the ground. He has underrated ground and pound. He's got, you know, a ton of experience at this point. Yeah, man. Like he's capable of beating anyone in that division and his success should not in any way come as a surprise.
2: Luke, it's one thing for me to ask you your opinion of the PFL season format when neither of us are watching it. Now that we're kind of into it, did you like the fact that they've got the camera on Magomed Karamoff backstage and and they're playing out the scenarios that if T-Bow gets to finish this round, Mangomed Kerimov's off. But if this happened, like, it kind of was unique and exciting. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It, Listen, it, I mean, this it, it's, it's niche. It's, it's you know, it's obscure, but it's it's interesting.
0: I've watched previous seasons of uh, Tough, or no, I'm saying Tough, PFL, and it just didn't have the same buzz or energy or just excitement and... And the whole broadcast feels like it's been lifted a little bit in the way that it's shown. But a couple of things. I like it when they show the other people to you, you know, backstage and what they're looking for and how they might be affected by the outcome. I'm cool with that. And I've said it before, I'm gonna keep saying it. These fucking made up stats, there's the fighter performance rating, which does. Nothing. Oh, it's an algorithm to predict fights. Really? Without it, you couldn't be able to predict fights more accurately. I mean, what fucking nonsense is this? It doesn't do anything. Number one. <laughs> number two. Number two. Hey, could you put more shit on the screen? PFL. There's already on ESPN two a ticker for like you know NBA results. Then they stack on top of that shit. Uh, here's the here was the miles per hour of the strike that hit Vinnie Magalation the fucking balls. Nobody <laughs> cares.
2: <laughs> Why don't they Does they just put nothing. the fighters? Well, they just put the fighters' social security and credit card numbers too, so Rumble can write them down. But I mean, come on, what are we doing here, Luke?
0: I mean, no, no one disrespects footwork more than whoever is the head of production over at PFL. They fucking hate footwork on that thing. So listen, I, I love a lot of what they're doing. I think a lot of it is just dramatically improved from the roster to like the commentary team of 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 Kenny's. I think is a great addition to to uh, to to Randy Couture um, and Sean O'Connell and and. it's it's, they're firing on all cylinders and god bless them take those fucking invented numbers off the fucking screen for the love of jesus christ
2: wow about time you're showing that man some love luke he's loved you from the beginning all right from the light heavyweight side of things luke it was a kind of some weird shenanigans last night. So, uh, Shoeface fought Vinny Magalesh, who, again, I'm sorry, he's not Husamar, Paul Harris. Sorry, I confused them, Luke. Uh, they had a no contest in the first round due to an accidental need of the groin. Also, Emiliano Sordi and Dan Spahn fought to a very competitive, unanimous draw. Also, Chris Camozzi uh, took a decision from Cesar Fajeda, and Corey Hendricks got a third-round submission of Martin Hamlet. So how those playoffs are, are going to break out is shoe Antonio Carlos Jr. got the number 1 seed. He's going to take on Emiliano Sorti, and the second and third seed is Cesar Fajeda versus Martin Hamlet for the upcoming playoffs. Do you care?
0: Uh, Mart- that guy Martin Hamlet is... Um, PFL folks have told me to keep an eye on him. That he is a uh, he's a he's a prospect worth worth acknowledging a potential upside about you know um, but I think you know part of the charm of PFL man is like why would you watch PFL you would watch it if yes you want to see some of your favorite fighters in there like a McDonald or a Pettis somebody you know but honestly I kind of feel like watching the charm of the PFL is dude I want to learn something about fighters I don't really know a whole lot about I'm gonna there's gonna be people I slept on who are gonna come in here and just mow down the favorites. So like you're asking me, am I excited at some of these things at the outset Mm, a little bit, but I, I love, I love the way that they shake up shit there, that they don't really favor stars in the way that the matchmaker model is. I wouldn't want that to be the default model that we use for the biggest organizations in MMA, but as an alternative to one and the way in which they finally have settled into the format, it's working for me so far.
2: I even like that that corny stand-up comedy commercial they had with like Ken Flo on the mic. I'm like, you know, Brendan shop coming out soon. I want to be surprised here. Did you see that that thing? I was like, I guess, they had little I, guess skits. I missed that part. They're like little skits. I mean, it was I know, PFL's trying some weird shit. Luke, final bit of note on PFL here is that on the preliminary card last night, veteran light heavyweight Tom Lawler finished out his season yes. with the unanimous decision win over Jordan Young and then seemed to finish out his career by leaving his gloves in the middle of the canvas. Are you affected at all by this development?
0: Yeah, I am, dude. Tom Lawler is a guy. I said it. Uh, I'll, I'll say it forever. Tom Lawler is a guy who had his career um, totally... I won't say ruined, but pretty fucking close by absolute non-science bullshit from USADA. They never apologized, ever. They were wrong from the first day. They were wrong the second day, and they're still wrong now. They know it. I know it, and we all know it, and they fucked that guy's professional career up. So for him to get a a, a win over—by the way, Jordan Young is a very good fighter— so Tom Lawler, up a weight class at 205, having dealt with absolutely institutional unfairness. Um, I know he's thriving, or at least trying to thrive in pro wrestling. I don't know enough about pro wrestling to say one way or the other, but he seems to be doing quite well. And he's a character. And to get a nice win like that in MMA, dude, I, you know, I'm very, very happy for Tom Lawler. He really deserves um, a, a lot more grace than this world has shown him.
2: Yeah, former Golden Boy MMA star Tom Lawler retires at 38. If he's if this is it with an 11 eight and eight record, one no contest. As you mentioned, he's had By some some good good <laughs> stuff from him at sorry with Major League Wrestling, and also he made his uh, debut in 2020 with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So look, he's yeah. not nobody in the pro wrestling space. So I wish him well in that you know in continuing that transition if that's what he wants.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, again, I don't know anything about pro wrestling to say whether he's doing well or poorly. It seems like he's doing well. The one thing I'll say is, have you noticed how uh, PFL calls their cage? The smart cage. It's yeah, like, what's yeah. so smart about it? Could I call Uber Eats if I lose to get like, you know, 40 <laughs> pounds of Taco Bell sent
2: to me in my locker room? All I, all I know is if Justine Kish ever ends up in uh, PFL and shits her pants, I want the smart cage to give me the stats on that. Luke. Okay?
0: Yeah. Does the smart cage have like a have like a Roomba that comes through and like cleans shit? You know, like what yeah, does it do? Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> now we go over to the PFL smart cage bidet to clean up the mess. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Luke, all right. All right, Luke, uh, we, we touched a lot. Uh, you know, there are some events this weekend in terms of boxing. The monster, uh, Dewa Inoue, number two on my pound-for-pound pound list, is back to defend his Bantamweight title against uh, Michael Desmaris on ESPN. Uh, you know, not much more to say about that, Luke. Same thing with Hami Mungia facing a last-minute opponent on zone. But, like it or not, For better or for worse, uh, maybe the biggest boxing event short of Jamal Charlo's title defense on Showtime is the Fight TV pay-per-view we're going to see Saturday night from Guadalajara. Now, what might be putting butts in the seats locally is Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., the 58-year-old retired legend, is back for another one of these exhibition fights. He's going to take on Hector Camacho Jr., Part of that is to honor the late Macho Sr., you know, Senior uh, Julio Sr. doing this to honor his old foe, who he, of course, fought in 1992. But, Luke, what's going to bring most of the fight fans here is the weird soup we got here with this, uh, I don't know if it's the co-main, co-feature, whatever you want to call it, eight rounds of professional boxing when 46-year-old Anderson Silva, who, let's remember, does have two pro boxing fights. He went one-on-one. That was 1998, though, in 2005 – Takes on 35 year old Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Now, Luke, according to Anderson Silva, who I talked to yesterday, the contracted weight here is 82 and a half kilos, which uh, roughly is about 181 pounds. If we're going to treat this like an actual fight, and I think they will when they touch gloves on Saturday, the weight is a big story. Why? Silva fought most of his career, of course, at 185, went up to 205 when needed. But he's 46. He's got to cut down to 181 or 182, whatever the kilogram equivalent is. And Chavez Jr., who obviously is more in his physical prime and obviously has much more true boxing experience. Luke, we know he's become a clown. Yes, he won a world title at 160 pounds a decade ago. But Chavez Jr. has fought at 168, 172, 173, 175. And he's had such a string of shit lately from quitting against Fanfara, from taking the money against Canelo but not really even trying in the ring, from walking out of the Danny Jacobs fight after missing weight, claiming injuries when the crowd in Phoenix, which was a pro-Chavez crowd, by the way, was throwing shit at him and trash and booing him. Even his next fight, he fought an unbeaten guy in Mexico and suffered a cut and lost by technical decision. Um, This is not your father's Chavez junior even it's not the father either chavez senior am i talking myself into the idea here luke that given the weight difference as long as andy Silva, the spider-man can make this comfortably at 46 and given the fact that chavez junior can implode at any point that this might actually be like a competitive fight am i am i crazy no i
0: I mean okay well hold on bc Uh, uh, let's say you're right let's say your intuition let's say your intuition is right and that there is a way for this to be competitive. But then I would just ask, like, so what? Like, well, I don't even know what that would mean. Like, you've got a guy who in Silva, 46, two pro, pro boxing fights, obviously legendary MMA striker, who has knocked some guys out with his hands. Um, but, you know, also has, you know, done a lot of work with his kicks too. Like, it's, it's a potent combo there. Uh, can't use any of that. So a bunch of his weapons are taken away. He has to the weight. I think he can make because remember he was willing to go down into the seventies, like one seventy seven, to get a, uh, like a catchweight fight with Saint Pierre. So I think he can. I mean, even McGregor, he was,
2: six, he, he was willing to fight McGregor pretty low too. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah exactly. So I think he can do that. But um, you know, dude, JCC is or Junior, I should say, Junior is he's a mess, bro. He's a. <laughs> I mean, he's a well, mess. Well, let
2: me update you quickly on on how he's a mess, Luke. I was supposed to have an interview with him yesterday. It was scheduled. Oh, Uh, he didn't show. He duffed? He He didn't show. And then, you know, to be full disclosure, I reached out to the PR people multiple times to get an explanation or even an answer. I didn't get those questions answered, Luke. So I don't, you know, I hope he shows up for this fight. You would think, Luke, at 35, if he puts his head down and goes to the body, and to your point, Silva, he can't kick, right? That, you know, the younger guy, even with the size difference, should be able to outbox him for eight rounds. You would think, right?
0: You would think, I mean, listen, in a normal world, in a normal world, this should be as uninteresting as the, all the skeptics would imagine. And even with JCC Jr.'s decline, I still think he should probably do it. But, dude, if there's anybody, anybody who can wrestle L's from the mouth and the world of, of W's, it's JCC Jr. I mean, the guy was born into Mexican boxing royalty, which I understand puts an undue amount of pressure. But it wasn't like, like for example, look at Randy Couture's son, Ryan Couture, right? Okay, he didn't live up to his father. That's a pretty high bar. But he never showed up in fucked up weight. He never got popped for anything. He was never arrested for doing drugs or whatever the fuck. He never went to rehab. I mean, he was never a mess. He was just, you know, limited relative to his father as a fighter. Fine. Okay, whatever. He didn't disgrace himself. He never disgraced the Couture name. He just did the best that he could given the circumstances. Dude, JCC is the exa- junior is the exact opposite of that. He probably had a little bit more natural ability, relatively speaking, than Ryan Couture. He has fucked it up in every other way imaginable. Whether it's shitty performances where he wasn't trying, whether it's outside the ring indiscretions, whether it's weight issues, concentration, you fucking, you name it. So like. He's a, he's, he's a fucking goat rope, as we said in the Marine Corps, dude. He is an absolute tire fire, and if Andy Silva is even— Here's the problem with Andy Silva, though. Does he want to go into Mexico and like beat up JCC Jr.? Let's say he could, in front of the Mexican crowd, in front of the dude's father. I get a feeling that like Andy wants a couple of like um, a show points, and he wants to look good but I don't think he wants to go in there and, like, make enemies, so to speak.
2: That's the thing, because, okay, so for him to win this, he's got to fight. He's got to be the bigger man and fight. I don't see him fighting in a bigger man style, and I don't necessarily see Silva being willing to take big punishment to try to make Chavez Jr. quit. So maybe I'm talking myself out of it, Luke, after talking myself into it. I'll still be watching and covering it Saturday night for CBS, and obviously from a curiosity standpoint. And just to close on Chavez, like, There was a window where he was like quasi elite at 160 but that was because luke he had an innate supernatural talent to suck down to 160 and then rehydrate back up to like cruiserweight levels and then walk people down and 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 hurt them once he lost the dedication to make 160 and once he you know got rid of freddie roach like he's a joke it's serious i'm serious he's a big joke he's a big dude who can take a punch and punch to the body but he's unfortunately a joke. All right, I talked to Anderson Silva about a lot of things. I encourage everybody to check that interview out, uh, youtube.com slash morningcombat. Here's a specific question, Luke, about fighter pay and how this relates to this new era of celebrity boxing.
1: We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Oh. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the
2: end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
1: Let me tell you something. I make a lot of money, you see. I can't say I, I don't make money. You know, Dana I, and me, I, I have my personal problems with Dana. But anytime when I come the contract, I look the contract. My lawyers look the contract. My uh, um, um, my team, you know, Ed Suarez, George Guimaraes, in work to make the contract good for me and stay in the same size. Me and UFC. The problem is you can't talk nothing when you sign the contract because it's in contract. You know, I don't. I don't, I don't say nothing uh, bad professional about Dana because it's a good professional. And when you sit down with Dana and talking about fight in your contract, you need to do something for protecting you and your team too. You know, I make a lot of money in UFC, you know, and I, uh, I, I can't say nothing bad about uh, UFC. And I make more money here, of course, but that's the different show. That's the different promotion. You know, the promotions, uh, the promoters to this fight is working hard for make uh, successful here in Mexico, you know. And the first time is, uh, is open for the public here in Mexico, you know. And uh, I'm so excited. I'm so happy.
2: Luke, I-, I couldn't hear that. I hope the people could. Could you hear that?
0: I could hear not one word of it.
2: Okay. Well, just in case anyone couldn't hear that, I'm not sure if we had some technical difficulties, which was really the hallmark of our show. Unfortunately, I did ask Andy, which was cut out there. Uh, look, you know, you've seen Askren, you've seen Woodley come out at the end of their career, take these big boxing fights. Thank you, Gaff. Okay. The people did hear it. And basically, you know, get the biggest paycheck of their career. Is this the same thing for you? Is this going to be the biggest paycheck of your career? And Luke, uh, to, to to fill you in, he basically said, "Look, I'm not here to talk bad about Dana. I made a ton of money with Dana. Blah 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 blah. But by the way, yes, this will be the biggest paycheck of my career. Oh boy, Luke, it is." Let me ask you something, BC. Idea.
0: I was having a little bit of a friendly discussion. It was no, in no way uh, an angry debate online, which is you know mercifully uh, um in short supply these days. But uh, what's the what's the argument about this? Because we've had it out here. I mean, there's no denying, right, BC? There's no denying that every time you talk to an MMA fighter who is engaging in one of these processes, they always mention, you know, the paycheck is just unbelievably great. Like, there's no denying that's obviously a factor. Some of them want to make money that they never made or, you know, make money in a stage when they normally can't make this kind of money. Fine. But, like, there's a reality here, too, right? People think, oh, if we just paid MMA fighters more, they wouldn't do this. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that might cut down on the amount of it for sure, but, like... Dude, if the paycheck is big enough, and Danny Segura made a great point. You know, I'm not saying boxing is easier in MMA. I don't think that it is. But I do think it's less hard on the body. For sure, it's less hard on the body. And you can have two-minute rounds and only eight rounds. Like, dude, that's an easier thing to do than to fight some high-level motherfucker in MMA for 25 minutes. You know, and you get a huge check for it. Do I really think that if they paid more, that would go away? There'd be less of a BC. Do you think it would go away?
2: No, because... <sighs> These are still businessmen. These are still prize fighters. These are still opportunistic people. And, Luke, the amount of people who have made big money in any pro sport that have actually held on to that big money and invested it properly and set themselves up for life, like, that's a low number. It just is, Luke. That's human nature, right? So even if we paid MMA, so the big debate always on UFC fight pay is, right, the percentage, right, what is it? I don't know, 18 19%, Luke. Other sports, it's 50%. Okay, let's say MMA fighters were paid 50% and had better benefits, and you and I aren't doing some argument that makes our fan base really upset about secret backroom non-taxable payments. (laughs) People think I don't understand conversations or how math or the auditing of life works. I've seen some shit, people, okay? I've seen some shit. Um, I will say that it wouldn't go away, though, because, Luke, people are still going to get to a point where they're 45, where they're 50, where either they need the money or, Luke, that drug of being the man... And having something to fight for, having a training camp to prepare for, that never goes away, dude. It never—it's why pro wrestlers always come back. It's why, you know, all of our boxing heroes, Joe Louis, Muhammad Ali, I mean, all of them did this kind of shit, Luke, okay? People are going to need money, they're going to want money, they're going to want glory. It necessarily wouldn't fix it. It's just interesting, obviously, for somebody like Anderson Silva— who obviously was in that one percent is different from the other guys. Headline big pay-per-views that did big business, made millions. For for him to still get the biggest payday in a eight round ex, you know, not exhibition, but quasi exhibition boxing match in Guadalajara against the faded legend of a son. It is what it is, Luke, right?
0: You say Guadalajara like it's a bad place, man. If you guys don't follow Danny Segura on Twitter, he's been taking pictures of the place. I mean, I'm sure it's got, you know, shitty parts like every well, city does, but it looks beautiful, man. I, I kind of want to go now. I'm, I'm jealous. It's not a
2: bad place. It's just an obscure place for Anderson Silva to make his biggest paycheck under this circumstance. But, Luke, I also talked to Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. in a colorful and fun convo. I do want to put full disclosure here because of the amount of comments I've gotten on YouTube and on Twitter that apparently the pr- the translator provided by the PR staff there in Guadalajara was not apparently up to the standards of how colorful and fun Chavez's responses actually were. Luke, I don't speak Spanish. I can't really. Dude, comment this is to hold on, that. real
0: real fast. Dude, this is a common problem. I cannot tell you how many times I've watched some uh, athlete who you know is happy and saying something, and the translator will say something, and my wife goes, "That is not at all what he said." It happens all the time.
2: So I appreciate everybody who reached out and was like, no, BC, he said in the answer when you asked about Camacho that he's only doing this fight to honor Macho Camacho Sr. Like that kind of stuff got lost in translation. I'm not sure got lost here, but I do have a clip to throw to you. I essentially asked Chavez Sr. Look, you know, you're the face of, of the history of Mexican boxing. You're the greatest fighter of all time. But Canelo's coming, and there's gonna be a new generation of fans, critics, all that that are gonna they're gonna you know, one of these days, right? Canelo just keeps winning, they're gonna say He's the face of Mexico. Are you okay with that? Let's go to the videotape. Mm. Julio, you are in Guadalajara, of course, the home of the great Canelo Alvarez. Are you okay, though, with the new fans that are coming into this sport when they look at the great history and the lineage of Mexican boxing that they might say Canelo is the greatest Mexican fighter of all time when maybe more of us old-school fans, we know the truth. Chavez numero uno. No, mira, eh, respeto mucho a Canelo, la verdad es un gran peleador,
1: es, es el mejor peleador mexicano ahorita de la actualidad, pero el mejor peleador mexicano de todos los tiempos es y será siempre Julio Julián Chávez. Cuando alguien llegue a 90 peleas invicto, me lo recuerdas y me dices quién es el mejor. No importa los títulos, cuando alguien llegue a 90 peleas invicto, entonces me dices que es mejor que yo. Well, definitely, I have a lot of respect for him, and he is a really good fighter, but definitely, I will be the best fighter in the world for now until someone go ahead and has 90 fights just like me. And when that happens, you can go ahead and remind me. But for now, I'm definitely the best.
2: Luke, I love the fire in the old man. He says, uh, wake me when somebody starts their career 89-0 and 0, <laughs> before they can become the face of Mexican boxing. does.
0: That's 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 an amazing pull, if you can say that. You know what I'm saying? By the way, uh, Danny Segura just tweeted, the broadcasting teams, BC, have you heard this? For the English broadcast, they're going to have Chris Algieri, Brandon Kyle, and I don't know if it's Jaime Mota or Jamie Mata.
2: Jaime Mota, yes. Jaime Mota.
0: And then in Spanish, Marco Antonio Barrera, Eric Goyito Perez, and then uh, Cristian Mijares. So they're going to have an MMA fighter in there doing some commentary.
2: Fun. Uh, Yep interesting uh collection there and uh also just wanted to add senior obviously respects canelo we've seen so many times where they've you know hugged and i wonder luke in the back of his mind if he wishes that he gave birth to you know or that his wife gave birth (laughs) to that kid right good god right there all right so Luke, we'll check out this wackadoo uh pay-per-view on saturday night and see what happens there but uh a lot of people already say man bc and chavez senior need a reality show we need to get them a good trend look they say, do you want senior? I say, do you have a translator? They say, yes. What do you want me to do, Luke? I can't walk around with Danny Segura or Lupe Contreras and all these people that can really do the job, right? Felix De jesus I, they don't live with me, okay?
0: Uh, all hey, right? listen, you got to do what you got to do. But it's, uh, honestly, if you ever do this again and you interview somebody like that, man, you might want to double check. I'm telling you it's a common problem. Common.
2: Maybe I, could get, maybe I could draft one of your family members. Maybe Uncle Pepe into this. My, my, board,
0: wife, right? my wife has done some translation for me uh, when I've interviewed okay. uh, Latin American athletes. Yeah.
2: Okay, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, enjoy that boxing this weekend. Topic five, Luke, a little roundup of the news that's out there. Max Holloway, as we mentioned earlier, uh, I believe it was July 17th he was expected to headline a must, must-see UFC fight night card. They had they never announced the location, Luke, but it, it all signs appeared to be the Apex against Yair Rodriguez, essentially a number one contender fight at 145. All we know per a report from ESPN Deportes, is that Holloway has pulled out with an undisclosed injury. Luke, your thoughts?
0: It's rare for him, you know, for a guy who doesn't spar, um, or, you know, reportedly doesn't do much sparring, let's say, in training, Uh, it's unfortunate to hear it. You know, uh, I don't think Max gets injured a lot, um, but it happens sometimes. And, you know, Yair got saved a beating, probably. Uh, That's my hunch. So it sucks, man. Max is just the most beloved guy that there is. But maybe it brings a little bit of clarity, because if he had fought and won that, you know, it makes him the number one contender. And I guess he still is the number one contender, and obviously after what he did to Calvin Cater. I don't know. Like, it just sucks that Max is hurt and he's out, right? We all love Max. He's one of the most, he's one of the best ambassadors we have in this sport. I just hope it's not too serious. I don't suspect that it is. I know that one thing he had previously uh, where he was all messed up from, like, the weight cut or whatever it was when Michael Bisman caught it on air. You know, I'm hoping it's no issue related to that. So I'm just going to say, hey, an ordinary injury sucks. He's out. Hopefully they can get Yair in there against somebody soon. And uh, I I wish Max uh, a speedy recovery.
2: Well, the early reporting from ESPN Deportes was that the the promotion was looking to uh, re-up this fight as soon as they could. Mm. Uh, So it's going to be interesting. Will they get a replacement main event, Luke, or will we bump up? Misha Tate's return from a five year retirement against Marion Renault, which is also scheduled for that card. I'd like i kind of like to see Misha get the spotlight here.
0: That wouldn't be so bad. And the other thing to think about with Max Holloway is the injury could be I mean I, I'm I'm truly just speculating. I've not I've not talked to him, but I something to think about with Max, it may not be that bad because uh, for example, let's say he just turned his ankle and you're like, well, that's not a you know, you need to heal that. It's not the worst injury, but he is a guy that probably needs to do road work to lose weight, right? He, he can make 145, obviously. It's not easy for him to make 145. And if he's not in a position to make sure his body can lose that weight, he probably can't take the fight. So I, I'm guessing that there's at least a, a decent possibility that that's a role that they're playing. You're asking about Misha. Yeah, I wonder how much Misha's star power is still there. Like When the news was announced she was coming back, there was a lot of fanfare about it. Would that translate into the right kind of main event? Marion Renault's not the most interesting dance partner in terms of um, the celebrity of it all. I do think she's a great test for Michigan State to come back to. So maybe they'll bump that up. It'll be uh, if they bump it up, it tells you that they believe in her remaining star power for sure.
2: I think her star power is going to surprise people, and, and it'll still be there. Uh, yeah. basically, look to be honest. Anyone who got a big rub off of that rousy bubble, Holly Holm, I'm looking at you, right? The the star power is still giant. I mean, people love the shit out of Holly Holm from being a part of that moment and that buzz and, and had playing such a big role. Which, Luke, while while Misha has talked a lot about, like, I'm going to come back, I'm going to win, and then I have the style to beat Amanda. And a lot of people are like, you know, like, that's cool, but like... Let, let, let's take it one step at a time. Wouldn't you be interested in a Misha Holly home rematch? Like that seems like it, there's big interest in They're at the end of their career. It, it, the first fight was one of the most dramatic, you know, title fights in UFC history with the comeback. I mean, that could be fun stuff,
0: right? 100%. Let's see. Let, let's see how she looks against Marion Renault. But if she goes in there and wins and wins in like a Misha Tate kind of way, take down Tate, remember that cupcake, uh, oh, yeah. you know, whatever, all that stuff. But you I was a big th- fan
2: of the take down Tate era. By the way, she ate some shots from Zingano in, in, uh, and oh, still that's came a, back so that's that a,
0: That's Zingano's best fight, if you ask me. I mean, that's just one that of the most a, amazing brutal. performances. That was a great but, fight.
2: Great fight. All uh, right, Luke.
0: If she looks like that, then yes.
2: Speaking of old names making returns, Luke, uh, September how, how, 11th. How,
0: when this news was announced, how horned up were you? You must have been lathering in horniness.
2: Well, uh, so it is September 11th, which is uh, the same night, by the way, as the, the uh, intended Showtime uh, Uh, 122 showdown there between Brandon uh, Figueroa and Cool Boy Steph. But, Luke, this will be in celebrity boxing and thriller. Oscar De La Hoya, the 47-ish-year-old Hall of Famer, he's coming back, Luke, and Vitor Belfort will be his dance partner. Now, Belfort was supposed to be fighting this Saturday on the Teofimo Lopez undercard as a last-minute addition against some celebrity named Tarzan. That's not happening, Luke. But this will happen. Um, early odds makers—I don't even know the book—but somebody emailed me, and Vitor's the betting favorite for this exhibition. I don't. Can you bet on exhibitions? I don't know, Luke. Does this do anything for you? Anything?
0: Anything? Mm, it's gross. It's no. pretty gross,
2: Luke. It's pretty gross.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, here's the thing: Is uh, Vitor going to be back on the supplements? Cause if so, that might that might make me a little horny. You know what I'm saying? That might get me all all, all jazzed up. <laughs> I,
2: I don't know if Triller has a uh, extensive drug program, Luke. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I mean, I'm guessing actually they do. They're pro <laughs> yeah. drugs, Luke.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they probably have a pro drug program. I've been bashing Triller. Triller. I should get on board. Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, De La Hoya is doing his thing. They all want paychecks. I guess Vitor was with one, but you know, I don't know what the rule is with one doing shows and whether people living in the states or Brazil can even get over there at this point. So like. I'm guessing that they let him do this, which is great. Glad to see a promotion allowed it. It's fine. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what it
2: will to say. Be, it, look, okay, look, I know it's slop. It's slop as shit, right? But it's different <laughs> if— This is the shit if, that
0: gave you a fatty liver, motherfucker.
2: It's, yeah, that's damn right. It's different if Oscar's going to fight like GSP, and you're like, okay, even old Oscar should win it. Maybe GSP, because he's in great shape, can make it close. But this is a little bit interesting that De La Hoya's best weight class was 147. Actually, you could argue maybe even 135 back in the day. He fought as high and won titles, Luke, at 154 and 160. Vitor Belfort's a damn, you know, a middleweight in MMA is 185. He was a a
0: 205 champion, technically.
2: He was a heavyweight in the beginning. So this this is interesting, Luke. I mean, I know you've got to guess that De La Hoya is is probably in the... Well, De La Hoya is probably in the 154 to 170 area for weight if he gets in great shape.
0: Yeah, I'm going to i am going to guess 160, 160.
2: I don't know. I don't, you know, whatever. But apparently, Luke, have you heard the rumors that they're going to get like Drake and Triller's going to spend a lot of money again and they're going to make yeah. it like a three-day weekend event? They're calling it Versus, V-E-R-S-U. Well,
0: versus is this thing they do where they have all these musicians battle each other, which is fucking stupid too, but whatever. Kids love it. I'm old. Uh, eh, Okay, fine. But it's like, I can't believe they looked at the last show and they're like, geez, we spent so much money, we could not have possibly made a single fucking penny on this. How do we double down on that strategy to yet lose more money? Oh, I know. Let's up the ante. So listen, Triller, listen. If you're a Triller fan, I have a word of warning for you. Get in on it while you can, because this shit ain't going to last. They are burning through money. Like it's a fucking contest. So enjoy it while it's here.
2: All right. Like it's uh, the movie uh, Brewster's Millions, Luke, starring uh, uh, is it Richard Pryor.
0: Oh, God. I haven't seen that movie in so Yeah, I think it is. I haven't seen the movie in so long.
2: Yeah, he had to spend all that money in a certain—all the old dads will understand. All right, Luke, uh, this, this past Wednesday of this week, Bellator made a huge announcement. I was the moderator on the Bellator 263 press conference that I think they are making available on YouTube now for everybody to check out. We have a date for what could be possibly the biggest fight in Bellator history. 263 Pitbull versus McKee the finals of the featherweight world grand prix the titles at stake 1 million dollars you can even argue the face of the franchise is at stake it's all going to go down saturday not friday saturday july 31st live on showtime 10 p.m eastern from the forum at inglewood california luke um we all know how great this fight is I was a little bit surprised, I'm sure you haven't seen it, hopefully you can check the replay, that this turned into a fun trash-talking war. F-bombs all around, McKee had bars, he was coming at Pitbull, and it all started by your boy Captain Eric ElBaracin stirring up the pot with some really bad jokes aimed at Antonio McKee, and uh, things got a little hairy there for a second. I know you love this fight, it's great that it's on paper now. Do you agree with that idealism, that marketing push they didn't tell me to say it. I'm saying it. Biggest fight Bellator's ever had.
0: I'll say this. Um, on paper, objectively great fight. Uh, if you're Bellator, this tournament could not have gone better in terms of who made it to the position that they're in. So that's two things I would say. Three, I would say that um, it's a one of the most historically significant fights that Bellator's ever had. And then the last thing I'd say about it, number four, is that if you think about what are some of the best fights, imagine they could just pick two people, you know, obviously in the same weight class or whatever, but if they could, what are the best permutations that they could come up with? This is easily, if not the best, they can come up with one of the better fights that is available when you match up talent on their roster. It is a huge, huge fight for this organization. 145 is one of their better divisions. Uh, AJ McKee, All of his fights in Bellator undefeated in the finals against the best fighter that Bellator's ever produced. I mean, when you say big, I don't know how to take that because, you know, I was there for the Kimbo slice fights. They're way bigger in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of the visibility. If you're asking me about the credibility of it, that's a bit of a different conversation. But if it's not number, if this is not number one, it's top three Bellator fights in terms of the credibility of their roster all time. And it might just be number one.
2: I mean, you know, look, the Chandler Alvarez series was great. This, is on paper, is better than that, Luke. It means more. The, right? This like is the,
0: I, I know that first fight is kind of held up as, like, one of the great fights in sort of the lightweight and belter MMA history, and it should be, and it should be. But honestly, on paper, and we'll see what happens. Maybe the fight blows. I seriously doubt that it will. But, you know, on paper, I put that on par or maybe even a little higher than that.
2: Okay. Uh, we don't have a, a main card yet announced, Luke, but... Scott Coker and company took a big swing. Here's three bouts announced for the preliminary. Look, the prelims beginning 7 p.m. Eastern on Showtime July 31st. Number two, featherweight Emmanuel Sanchez versus number eight, Mads Burnell. You like that?
0: Huge. Huge. Great number
2: fight. three, bantamweight un, uh, Magomed Magomedov, unbeaten so far in Bellator, against number four, Ruffy on Stotz. Yes. yes. That
0: is a – let me tell you something, folks. That is a phenomenal fight. One, again, one of the better ones Bellator can make.
2: And, um, and uh, unranked but new, unbeaten lightweight Usman Nurmagomedov, of course the cousin of Habib, taking on Manny Moro. So this is going to be, that's the prelim. So good, good stuff there from Bellator. This is a big, that'll be a big night, Luke, for, for everyone involved. Hopefully you and I too, right?
0: Yes, I want some checks. I got bills to pay.
2: All right. Uh, speaking of bills to pay and ads to read, look, Luke, uh, no one is perfect, right? Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three putt with a tournament on the line. Sometimes even BC makes some leaps and stretches with the tinfoil that people don't enjoy. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, Luke, it's, it's brother, it's perfectly okay, right? But if it's bothering you, Luke, you do have some options, why don't you go to GetRoman.com slash combat right now? Why? Because with Roman, R-O-M-A-N, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your whole own home. Luke, you know what ED is, right?
0: Uh, is that that thing you tell me you constantly complain
2: about? Erectile dysfunction? A U.S.-licensed yeah. healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate it will ship to you free with two day shipping. You can't beat that, Luke. The whole process is straightforward, but very discreet, which is the important part. No one's on Morning Combat talking about your three needles. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash combat, with a K of course, and complete your online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today and connect with a doctor to take care of it. Roman.com slash combat now to get $15 off your first month. Look. There's a straightforward way right now to take care of your ED. All right? Roman.com slash combat. 15 months, $15 off your first month. It's gonna be great. Luke, you could use this, bro.
0: No, no, I don't need that. I'm good to go. <laughs> For now. Although I will say, given the way my body is rapidly deteriorating, perhaps, you know, you know, my hog not working at some point is on the horizon. But right now I'm good Luke. to go.
2: Your libido is ready to go, bro, at your age. So you better get on that TRT train or check out the fellas at, at roman.com slash combat right, and get you. Right. Once okay.
0: once everything really comes apart, I will check out roman.com.
2: One day, you your wife will find out that you were dead wrong. Speaking of that, Luke, morningcombat at gmail.com is our uh, respi- respiratory for you to drop in your fan submissions for Wednesdays and your depository depository. Uh, <laughs> For Friday. <laughs> Repository for Friday. Wow, is this dead wrong? There's dead wrong while introducing dead wrong. It's our segment that we love where we take the L. It's called dead wrong. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Sometimes, Luke, we'll, we'll straddle the fence. We'll take the L. You'll do the Eminem bit. And then I'll you know mention Larry Hoover. Here we go. This is from Henris and Sam. On yesterday's... Live chat, June 10th. Luke mentioned... Is that yesterday? No, it's last week. Last week's live chat. Luke mentioned that Israel Adesanya came out to 70,000 people and danced with the Jabbawockees around the 24-minute mark of his live chat. It was his childhood friends, Luke, not the Jabbawockees. I know. Great show, guys. I know. Okay?
0: But they looked. They had the mask thing. I know it's not the actual... The Jabbawockees... BC, they just live in Vegas, right? Like, that's all. I think oh, they yeah. replace members because they get old and shit, but, like, they're, they're always they're there.
2: There's theaters in the MGM Grand, right? Yeah. 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 You're not doing, like, an all-black-people-look-alike thing, Luke, right? You weren't doing that?
0: How can I if they have masks? And, by the way, I think some of them are Asian. I, I mean, I don't know, but uh, you know, I think I read that somewhere. I don't know. Okay.
2: Well, Luke, Misha's jumping in for our second one, saying on the latest live chat of last week, June 10th, which is not the latest, Luke stated that there is research... <laughs> uh stating that there is something to the idea of a quote hot hand in basketball i believe that luke was thinking of the paper called the hot hand in basketball on the misperception of random sequences by thomas gilovich robert Vallone, and amos Mm -hmm. tversky and the paper actually comes to the opposite conclusion that the idea of a hot hand is a myth Gary Smith further expands on this in his excellent book called Standard Deviations. To Mm. Luke's credit, he did make it very clear that he wasn't sure, and he told the audience to double-check what he said and not to quote him on it. But a mistake is a mistake. So, Luke, you're dead wrong. Let me close out by saying I'm a huge fan of the show and of you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Cheers. Misha, Luke, that is not Misha Tate. This one spells it a little bit differently, and this could also be a man because in Europe they're not afraid to name men Misha and like Gaina. Right. That's right. They're not afraid Misha- to do Michelle like
0: too. That. Michelle. uh yeah. I've never read that paper. I actually read a different thing, but um uh, maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. I, I, I would have to double check that for sure. For now, or maybe she's right, Luke. Yeah, maybe she's right. That's right. Maybe they're right.
2: I don't. I don't know, Luke. Okay. All right, Greg sliding in saying Vanilla Thunder BC was dead Vanilla wrong Thunder. at 3:41 of episode 167. Wow, look you have got these people trained that if, if you're going to come, right? <laughs> come hey, on listen, already.
0: They were they were coming through with bullshit corrections. They've gotten so much better. So much better.
2: Um wow, catch us open the door. Zoe is here. Look, oh, look
0: yeah, you got to show the world. Let's see. Let's see the show cat. The
2: world, Zoe, right? She's the best. Big fan of Zoe. Yes. She's violent though. She's a little bit violent, so we have to be careful. Right Zoe?
0: <laughs> that cat is going to fuck you up, bro. Yes,
2: yeah, she will. She bites like down to the bone, Luke. It's it's real like but it's like a love bite, Luke. I don't really usually mix joy with pain like sunshine and rain, right? Yeah. Big fan. Big fan of you. Okay. okay. There we go. Okay, Luke. Um Greg says um when BC referred to last weekend's Bellator card as Bellator 268, despite it actually only being Bellator 260, yes, hate to catch you slipping for something so minor this week, but mm. I still had to pop you like USADA on this one. Sincerely, Greg from Canada. Hey, Luke, that's, that's the nicest thing anyone from Canada has ever done for us, right, on this show? No, Aaron
0: Bronstetter was a host.
2: Oh, that's right. Right. Big fan of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll take the L there, Greg. I, I, I'm i look, I'm liable Luke to do a lot of bad things in front of a microphone. If you put me on for this long. Okay. Sorry. Bump. Bump. And also they wanted to remind me, Mikey, our producer, that I said uh, the furry Fury Klitschko uh, showdown was in a sauna, not a hot tub, like I said. So I'll take that dead wrong. Luke, many people, including John Nash are also trying to dead wrong me from the idea that, you know court documents and um accounting books for big companies cannot be cooked luke
0: it's actually not the claim but uh you know i'm too tired to get into it
2: really (laughs) really (laughs) you sure sure about that (laughs) i mean you know i mean zufa was founded by successful casino magnets right right Right, magnets or magnates uh, Look, I'm, I'm I'm half Lithuanian, so my pronunciation on things sometimes is a little bit. Off. <laughs> All right, Luke, that's uh, dead wrong for the week. We always close by showing people our tips and exposing ourselves, Luke. Um, so uh, why don't you take it take it away, Luke?
0: Yeah, my tip is very basic. It's one of these lessons you learn over time, especially if you're a homeowner. In fact, this is really this is my well, it, it applies to everyone, but really if you're a homeowner out there. So yesterday. I found out that I have squirrels in my attic, and the Terminex guy is coming over to get rid of them in the next twenty minutes, which should be fun. So that that's great. gonna that's gonna cost me. How much do you think that cost, BC, to get squirrels out of your attic from Terminex? Oh
2: God, uh, twenty five hundred at least. No,
0: Jesus, not that bad, but it's not cheap. It's fourteen hundred dollars. Okay, so okay. I had to pay that yesterday.
2: Well, then, I was adding inflation for how much you pay for a haircut in your area. You never yeah, know. Yeah, in DC.
0: fair, fair enough, fair enough. But still, it's only fourteen. Then uh, I had to get someone to come uh, check out my dryer. It broke. So that's another six or $700 at least, right, to, to do that. And then, B.C., last night, I'm going to go to bed. I would had my NyQuil. I would had my melatonin. I had my, my marijuana. My, you know, my evening cocktail that I use to get sleep that most of you take for granted. And uh, the A.C. upstairs in my uh, upstairs floor, it stopped working. So there's also a guy coming over to look at the AC. Now I repaired, uh, actually I replaced one of them last year. Do you know how much it cost me to buy a new central AC unit outside to power my upstairs?
2: Uh, God, that's uh, 4,000.
0: Oh, try 10. That was 10 fucking grand, yeah. okay? So I don't know if I have to pay that because parts of it are under warranty, but I'm already out two grand. I might be at another who fuck knows what. Here's my tip, bitches. Save your fucking money. <laughs> what are we doing? Homeowning sucks ass. I am every time I get a pay raise and every time I advance in this world, something happens to just drag me down a fucking peg. I'm out. I've, I, after today, BC, if something is fucking wrong that's not covered by the warranty, I'm out a used car, man. I'm out a well, used
2: fucking car. The good Lord does have a way of uh, helping us out and preparing us in advance for things. The problem is, like, I'm sure when you cash that check from Showtime for your work in Miami, you're like, hey, hey, baby, we're, you know, red, red panty night, right? We're rich. Uh, yeah, you gave it all back, Luke. But, you know, maybe it. that's why every, it was
0: there, Every penny I'm going to give uh, of that back. So I'm glad I yeah. went because otherwise I wouldn't have that. Well, I mean, you know, I've got savings or whatever, but save your money, everyone. We see what you got, bud. All right.
2: All right, Luke, you always get mad at me that all I do on Fridays with tips is talk about music. But, Luke, that's what I'm into in my personal life. And, you know, the best part about this quarantine for me musically has been able to really dig deep through vinyl and through the title title app that Brownsteader put me onto is Rediscover, Luke, Bands You Think You Know. Luke? God, Zoe, what are you doing? Um, Luke, um, we think we knew Cream, right, in the 60s? Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce. Oh, yeah, bro, I know White Room. You know, I know... uh, I know uh, Sunshine of Your Love, right? You know, I even know the live version of Crossroads. Yeah. No, you don't, because Classic Rock Radio let us down again. Luke, um, I've owned Cream albums. I've owned the greatest hits. I didn't know anything until I really went the past few weeks and re-examined the complete discography of one of the greatest groups, Luke, in, in, in rock and roll history. Rock's first super group. And Luke, you know what? Are they better than Zeppelin? No. (laughs) But they're on par with the greatest to ever do this, Luke, in such profound and phenomenal ways that I feel like I've been let down and misled to not realize that up to this point. Yes, they only have four albums. Yes, it was a, a short but spectacular union. But you take the jazz background of Ginger Baker on drums, the, you know, Folk and middle and 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 Indian and Eastern rhythms of Jack Bruce on bass, and Eric Clapton's electric bit of British blues on guitar, and you put this all-star group together, and they peeled faces. Not only live Luke, but a melding of embryonic almost heavy metal mixed with the launch of psychedelia, mixed with just that foundation and backdrop of blues. That it's a wild, unique soup of three of the best musicians of all time getting together and just doing something special that, again, didn't last long. The record company was putting pressure on Clapton to be the face of the group. It wasn't quite ready. They were pushing Jack Bruce to the background. But I'm absolutely blown away, Luke, in ways I didn't think I could, reexamining and going back into this, to the level, Luke, that I've realized something. You like Cream? You like MK? You kind of like one and the same. Luke, that's the spirit they brought to rock and roll at a pivotal time, 66, 67, 68, and that's the spirit you and I are bringing in so many ways right now, Luke. Something where we unified talents of people from different genres and sports and backgrounds, put them together together. And Luke, you know, you got a lot of Ginger Baker vibe to you, not just the facial hair, the power bottom foundation, the ability to set the tone and just be unique and a little freaking weird on top of that, but be so respected. You know, I'm kind of got Jack Bruce vibes here. I mean, he may not be the best bassist of all time, Luke. He's no Jocko or John Entwistle. But that mother effer was unique and different and heavy as shit and can send it down, Luke and me, comedically and conspiratorially, just willing to take chances and go after things. And maybe, Luke, the spirit we bring together, that's Eric Clapton soloing over the top. You know they used to say Clapton is God, Luke? And then we would all go back and re-examine and we're like, okay, save for the Derek and the Dominoes album, save for the Blind Faith one-off. Not God. I mean, he's great. He's a great blues guitar player, one of the best ever. But he's pretty adult contemporary. You know, he's pretty straight blues. No, Clapton was God in cream, Luke. Okay, he really was. And I missed that at certain points. This is reexamining the way I look at life, Luke. And even though this union together, they fell apart, they went their separate ways. Maybe you and I will do that. Maybe the Canadians one day will push down the walls of the Ice World Hot Space Station. And you and I are gonna have to look each other in the eye, you know, uh, Leia and Han like and say, I love you. I know, and, and, and go our separate ways, but for as long as you and I last together, Luke, we're the cream of the crop. <laughs> we're doing things no one else is doing. You know what that band was? Maybe, just maybe at that point, the three best in the world at what they did, and they came together, and they slayed, and it was different, and it was heavy as shit. A power trio. Luke, a power trio. It's like early heavy metal with Jack Bruce on bass. It's kind of what you and I are doing right now, Luke. Something artistic, something abstract, something different. So I just want people to realize what they're hearing right now, what they're seeing. It's special. And I'm feeling that vibes, Spider-Man meme, when I listen to Cream, Luke. So I even encourage you, there's very little, Luke, that you and I cross paths musically besides... Maybe some 90s grunge or rage against the machine or some respect for the more commercial elements of someone like Metallica or Pantera. But I think even you, Luke Thomas, you could get into the cream, right? Get on top. I think you would understand that they were doing something different, hard, heavy, special. Didn't last forever. Guys with that kind of talent, they, they can't keep it together. I don't know how long you and I are going to do this, Luke. We're going to the fucking top, bro.
0: All right. S- speaking of hard, no heavy, rules. and special, while you did a little soliloquy, I've
2: been watching Perv City. It's great. No limits. <laughs> okay. Are we a little abstract? a little outside the box? We color outside the lines? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's why I'm wearing this shirt today. All right. But Jack Bruce, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker. You know what Roof, Perv <laughs> know what City is? I see you guys. I see you guys right now. Okay. I see you guys. All it's right? the best, is what it is. All right.
0: Uh, yes, all right, yes. All right. I mean, very Luke, good. Get, very Luke, good. get
2: yourself some fresh cream, okay, Luke, all right? In the name of love, pour it on yourself, okay? It, it, it right. might change your life, too.
0: All right, uh, very good, very good, BC. We gotta get out of here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You gonna take us all out? Right. All,
2: right. all right, you wanna continue our talk about fight or pay or what, Luke? What are we doing here? What, right. what are we, we take doing us I take us out?
0: Should we take us out?
2: All right, Luke, Uh, special thanks to our crew here, Showtime, Malka, CBS Sports, Gaff on the ones and twos while Manich is at the beach somewhere. Hey, we don't need him. all right? Gaff throws perfect games, all right? That's what he does, okay? Uh, Special thanks to all you. Check out our interviews, our bonus content, Luke's live chat, interviews with Randy Couture, Chavez Sr., Anderson Silva. Follow us, and, uh, and how about you like and subscribe? Because this MK, it's weird. It's different. And it'll take you places you never thought rock and roll could go. All right? Okay. These are the only two men in the combat sports space willing to come. Come on.
0: <laughs> you done? Uh,
2: you can follow uh, 1 p.m. Eastern today, the live weigh-in show on Showtime Sports' uh, YouTube channels for Jamal uh, Charlo, Juan Macias Montiel, hosted by yours truly, Luke and I. So check that out. Uh, enjoy the fights this weekend, folks, because the calendar turns. Gervonta Tank Davis next week in a pay-per-view. Conor McGregor right around the corner. Pacquiao, Spence, McKee, Pitbull, Wilder Fury 3. It's coming. It's happening. We're going to be there with you. Luke Thomas, um, do you have anything else to say to the people?
0: I have to shit. Let's go.
2: All right, for our great staff and crew, for all your amazing listeners out there, Hollywood Accounting on on the computer if you want more. Follow John Nash's fine investigative work in, in terms of uncovering court documents. And thank you to the people who love what we do. My name is BC, that's LT, and we got two words for you. We out.